Welcome back to I Cry at Work. I'm your host, Carrie Ann Cashon, back for another week of discussing the circus that is the state of the American workplace right now. You know, that's actually too generous of a way to put it. Because here's a super embarrassing fact about myself. I actually trained for the circus. Truly, like, that's not a lie. I spent an entire summer in middle school doing circus training. Like, every day. Years ago, I would have never shared that with anyone because I was so embarrassed by it. But then Hugh Jackman came out and kind of, like, made circuses cool with The Greatest Showman. And ever since, I've opened up a little bit about my time under the big top. At least a circus is well executed. It's an organized event. Sure, the theme of the event's a little bizarre, like we could all admit, but the operation itself has some order to it. Unlike the American workplace right now, really just America in general, I would say. But the way companies are acting... And the way all these articles talk about the Great Resignation is so bizarre to me. It really is mind-boggling to me how much content is out there around what will fix the Great Resignation and burnout that just completely misses the mark entirely. Honestly thinking that offering better employee recognition programs can fix this massive economic trend in America. As someone that loves the business world and my fellow humans, I'm trying to build this bridge to share what the real underlying issues are here, which go back to core human needs and how if companies actually start to be a partner in that equation and start to have an effect in those issues, that actually would make a difference. For the past few episodes, I've been discussing how work plays into our human nature of just needing to feel safe and secure about our survival and future survival. I've been specifically addressing things like cost of housing and how that has changed over the decades and student loans and how all of these little things have completely changed across generations that have a very, very, very big effect on our ability of how we feel safe and secure, how financially secure we are, the benefit that work provides. But for this week, I want to address a timely example, which is job security. Why is it timely, you might ask? Oh, because of layoffs. So on top of employees helping deliver the most profitable year ever in 2021 for most of our companies, and then getting a raise significantly below inflation. You're now going to randomly fire employees in waves and masses for a reason that has nothing to do with their work performance. That decision has no tie to how good they are at their job. Literally, Netflix even specified that in their bullshit PR statement, saying, and I'm quoting, <laughs> As we explained on earnings, our slowing revenue growth means we are also having to slow our cost growth as a company. So sadly, we are letting around 150 employees go today 
mostly U.S.-based. These changes are primarily driven by business needs rather than individual performance, which makes them especially tough, as none of us want to say goodbye to such great colleagues. We're working hard to support them through this very difficult transition. I want to throw up. So, first of all, Netflix, go fuck yourself. After reading that, I really wanted to cancel my Netflix subscription, but one of my core sources of serotonin is watching John Mulaney stand up on Netflix, and it's only on Netflix. So for now, I'm keeping it, but I don't want to. I wish I could cancel it. That's more of a health reason. So second, you know what would support your great colleagues the most? Not putting them in a difficult transition, you motherfuckers. My blood's boiling. This topic gets me so riled up. I know I get feisty about a lot of stuff, but layoffs seriously get me fired up. And do I mean how disgusting it is how companies are treating humans and completely dismantling their quality of life with no remorse? Absolutely. I consider myself a very empathetic person. Maybe that's one reason I get so fired up about this stuff is because it seriously affects people's lives in a very negative way. And I hurt for them. But what puts me over the edge, what really just kicks me into high gear on this topic, is the fact that it's a result of the leader being shitty at their job from a business perspective. We have all these dumb evaluations. We get graded on how good employees are at their job and how good their performance is, and we quantify all of it either once a year or multiple times a year. What about the goddamn CEO? Because all of these layoffs are happening as a direct result of the CEO failing at one of the only responsibilities they even have, to plan and lead the company through the future successfully. Isn't that why everyone says the CEO is the visionary? They're expert visionaries. They're the visionary of the company. Well, all the CEOs laying off right now need to go get their goddamn eyes checked because they're running these companies like they're wearing those drunk goggles they make you wear during those drunk driving assemblies in high school. All these CEOs laying off right now is like when you're watching a football game and the kicker misses the field goal that would have won the game and everyone is always immediately saying you had one job. That is CEOs. CEOs are that kicker right now. You have one job, just one responsibility to plan and lead your company through the future. And I get that's an arbitrary saying, so broad. And honestly, I think that's why they get away with being so bad at their job, failing miserably. Unlike employee ratings and reviews and evaluations, how do you assess that a CEO is doing their job? One would probably say delivering return to shareholders is the default. Earnings per share, making a profit, year-over-year -year growth. I'm a realistic business person. I'm not even going to argue against saying you can assess if a CEO is doing a good job if your earnings per share are up every year or your year-over-year -year profit and growth. No. But last I checked, our employee evaluations don't just have one metric. 
or KPI that we must meet. And maybe there's one that's a little more important, but no one has just one little number that they are individually held to. We all have to juggle all these numbers all the time. I mean, we're spending the majority of our life just living in Excel and doing these numbers. And it's not just one of them. We're held to multiple different metrics. So let's say the CEO's little annual rating sheet has year-over-year growth and earnings per share and all the things the board gives shit about. Always got to satisfy the board. But there's one metric that would satisfy the board and employees. One KPI that would fix so many of the problems we're seeing. One KPI, two words. Forecast accuracy. I know what you're thinking. Man, what a sexy name for a KPI. But don't let looks fool you. Deep down, forecast accuracy is a freak in the sheets. Spreadsheets, that is. I had to get a nerd joke in there. I had to do it. I was tempted to take it out, and I was like, I got to do it. Let me break it down. So I have been the biggest fangirl of forecast accuracy for years and have had this conversation trying to explain how important this is to executives more times than I can count. But it's not like I invented it. I didn't invent this number. Forecast accuracy has been around as a metric for a long time, actually, when it comes to supply chain and operations. Generally speaking, forecast accuracy is a common metric within supply chain teams, specifically in demand planning. For anyone listening to this, it's like, carrie what the fuck is demand planning? I didn't even know what supply chain really meant until COVID hit, and it took nine months for me to get a new mattress. I know, I don't want to bore everyone explaining random operations that most people never have to deal with. So I'm going to make it as simple as possible real quick. For companies that make products, what most people would call consumer goods companies, consumer packaged goods companies, or CPG, The process is as follows. You make a product, you sell the product, and you repeat. Seriously, that is it. Summed up. So clearly, you have to have a product in order to sell a product. Unless you're Jen Shaw. For anyone that got that reference, I salute you, my fellow trash TV junkies. How forecast accuracy comes into this picture is making sure you have enough of the product you intend to sell at any given point. So if it's January 1st and it takes 90 days to make your product, get it on a boat, into your warehouse, otherwise known as before it's in the barn. I feel like you're a horse in the background. You need to know exactly how much you plan to sell of that product in April. If it takes 90 days for that whole process to happen so that you have a product available to sell in April, you've got to start on January 1st. You need to know exactly how much you plan to sell of that product in April. But it's not April yet. It's January. So you have to make a guess, an estimate. A demand planner will look at a lot of different types of data 
and make an estimate for what that number will be. And then the company goes and runs pretty much all the operations around that guess. So a long time ago, someone realized using common sense, hey, if we're going to spend all our time and energy and efforts operating towards this future number we're predicting, we should probably make sure it's pretty damn accurate, right? <laughs> if you predicted on January 1st that you will sell 100 widgets in April, and you in fact sold 100, your forecast accuracy would be 100. 100%, that is. You were perfect. Nailed it. But if you predicted you'd sell 100 and you only sold 50, your accuracy would be 50. Miss the mark by 50. Step it up, buddy. But it goes for overselling, too, which arguably is a much bigger issue, actually. If you predicted you would sell 100 and you sold 120, you still weren't accurate. So your accuracy would be 80%. That's how operations and supply chain teams use it. Because it lays the foundation to make a plan and then go run that plan. It's common sense. So I've always liked ops and supply chain leaders the most. I've always got along with them the most, I would say. Because they have the most common sense when it comes to running a business. Ops leaders are either one of two breeds. They either sound like Garth Brooks or they served in the military. There's no in-between. And the latter of those makes complete sense. You think about someone that's been in the military, truly been in the military and served. Just like in the military, they form a plan to the highest level of accuracy they possibly can. And they go execute that plan. But in the military, they don't let people wearing drunk goggles make that plan. But they can run Fortune 500 companies. If you've been listening, you know I don't like to spit a ton of stats, but these, are, these two are just way too good not to share. If a CEO has served in the military, a company is between 60 to 70% less likely to commit corporate fraud. 60 to 70% less of a chance that they will commit corporate fraud as compared to if the CEO has not served in the military. Another fun fact. It's not as fun. If the CEO has a DUI or a traffic violation, a company is 25% more likely to commit corporate fraud. Yeah. Let that sink in for a bit. That's statistically proven. And the Deloitte people think the answer to the Great Resignation is more development opportunities and access to mental health counseling. It's comical. This why it's so bizarre. These people love stats. Have they not seen that one? It's pretty glaring. This brings me to my actual recommendation for making things better for this week's episode. Holding CEOs to forecast accuracy for the entire business for all financial forecasts. Seriously, this isn't a big ask. It's not a tall order. We are not asking for the moon. 
they already make all of these forecasts. They already have all of these forecasts in every possible way you can chop this up. They have their cash flow forecasts. They have their what would be considered top line sales and revenue forecasts. They have costs of goods sold forecasts, capex investments, and how much that capital will depreciate and how you're going to schedule that depreciation over time. And they have what's called SGNA budgets, sales general and administrative, which, by the way, is the bucket that includes people like headcount and benefits. Everyone already has all of these things forecasted. They already exist, I promise. But the difference in them and operations is they don't care about making that number as accurate as possible your first round, your first go round. They take a vibe that's more like, we believe in second chances. But it's more like, we believe in at least 12 chances. Because they update their forecast at least each month. I'm not saying that's a bad practice. It's quite the opposite. But the point I'm trying to make is the goal should be that your forecast changes the least amount possible moving month to month from what you originally predicted for how the year would progress in your various financial forecasts. And if it does have to change month to month, the amount that it changed gets calculated under the roof of the CEO's forecast accuracy. Here's an example of how this would play out in today's environment. If CEOs were accountable for their forecast of how their business was going to perform financially in 2022, the year we're in, the crazy year, yet another one. If they had some level of actual responsibility to the forecast accuracy of the business, they would be the ones getting fired right now, not the people who are actually doing their job. Because the CEO's forecast was garbage. These companies had record years in 2021. They made a lot more than they ever thought they would. Because once again, they don't know how to forecast. And ended the year with more cash in their pockets than ever. Bursting at the seams. Then they all got together in their boardrooms with a table that you feel awkward putting your hand on because it's so shiny and you can see the oil from your skin. So you just don't put your hands on it. <laughs> they all get together and they're like, what on earth are we going to do with all this extra cash? Then they said, well, let's look at our 2022 cash flow forecast. Wow, guys, it says we're going to crush it even more in 2022 than we did in 2021. Our company valuation is going to go up even more. Can you believe this? Man, good thing we hired all those additional employees this year. Because we're going to need them to keep up with this level of growth. All aboard the gain train, am I right? <laughs> yeah, and, and looks like we don't need to save any of that extra cash for a rainy day, huh? So what on earth are we going to do with it? Plan to give employees raises that match inflation? <laughs> Good one, Steve. Always at the zingers. Oh, I've got it. Let's spend all of this massive amount of cash to buy back our own stock. If we use the cash 
to buy outstanding shares of our own company, it'll look like we have fewer outstanding shares and it'll automatically increase earnings per share. It's a way to artificially prop up our earnings per share. Man, with that fat of an executive bonus check, I'll finally be able to buy that sixth mega yacht I've really had my eye on. I know I'm telling this story sarcastically, which candidly is very fun, but that really is what happened and why we're seeing layoffs. I just try to make it sound funny because it's so sad. But the facts are straightforward. These companies had record years, more cash at the end of the year than ever before. They looked at their 2022 cash flow forecasts, which showed they'd have plenty of cash on hand at any point. They didn't save any of it for a rainy day and spent it all on artificially inflating their stock price through stock buybacks, which we could have an entire episode on and would probably get me just as heated. But I will save the stock buyback rant for another day. And then 2022 starts progressing. And all the average consumers in America that make up the masses that buy the products all these companies sell are hit with 9% inflation, gas that's $5 a gallon, and a housing market where it's half a million dollars to buy a 200-square-foot doghouse that was recently renovated to a single-family home. I don't know, babe. We might need to go above ask. It's been rated one of the best school districts for 48- to 72-month-olds by Montessori Digest. Oh, and they got a 3% rate is from the companies that sell all these products, too. So, surprise! Fewer people can't afford to buy your products in 2022 than they did in 2021. I hate to bring it to you, but that 2022 forecast you had that said you are going to sell more ain't happening, buddy. That cash you thought you would have at this point, you don't have. Now... They know what it feels like to be a millennial that was told by your parents going to college was the only way you'd secure a spot in the middle class. <laughs> and now they look at their new forecasts they made that look a lot shittier and realize they've got to cut costs to still deliver to shareholders. Well, I mean, there's no way I can cut the cost of my multi-million dollar salary. I just put in an offer on that ninth home in Nantucket I was telling you about. My wife would divorce me, and I can't afford a fourth alimony bill. It's unreasonable. It's, so that's, I, I, that's not an option. But we can just get rid of all these employees that are good at their job because we suck at ours. Yeah, okay. It makes me sick. Which is why I try to joke about it, but also why I'm just going to wrap this up. Two real ways to implement this. So, on the employer side. Hold your CEO to forecast accuracy. Start having your CEO report to the entire company, all employees, forecast accuracy, and how that accuracy has changed since the last report out. I would say doing a year-to-date makes the most sense, but you could throw in lots of different ways. You could do a last 52 weeks, a last 12 weeks, a last four, whatever floats your boat. The cash flow forecast would be the most important. But honestly, however you want to go about it, just find a way to implement it when it comes to like real financials that 
obviously lead to all the decisions being made in a business. Provide the definition of whatever you ended up going with very clearly. Make a definition of what is included that you provide to your employees and have the CEO regularly update the company on what the forecast accuracy is. And if you're listening, you're like, cool, carry on. But as a reminder, a CEO has the final say on what we get to implement. And I don't think they'd be too keen on adding more responsibility to their plate. And more importantly, actually having a number to quantify how good they are at their job. I get it. So assuming you aren't the CEO, like everyone listening, for employees, next time you get an employee feedback survey, mention this as something you would like to see. Or if you have some type of always-on communication feedback channel, but basically any chance you get that they're asking for your feedback, just mention this. It's not like you're not complaining, you're not whining, you're not saying they're doing a bad job. This is a very sound recommendation and feedback just to say it'd be great if me as an employee in this company that gives a shit about this company that I work in would like to know how good we are at progressing through the year like we thought we would. It's it's actually a very sound suggestion. It's not emotional. It's not whining. So whatever chance you get to provide feedback, mention this. Ask if this could be implemented. And if you have a board, if your company is publicly traded, if you have some type of board, you could write to the board members or just the board. But that one's a little bit more scary and it kind of freaks me out. I've never done that and don't know if I'd want to give that advice. So maybe try to go the employee feedback route. But writing to the board is an option. And if you are this by chance, the CEO, my advice would be don't be scared. You can approach this like everything else you do. Delegating the work to other people and taking credit for it. And if you're unlike my nerd self and don't actually want to do statistics yourself, do yourself a favor, hire some really good data scientists, and just take credit for it. Just like riding a bike for you. But what not to do is delegate the entire responsibility and that report out that has to happen to your CFO who hopefully already gives a shit about how accurate the financial forecasts are to begin with, but don't put that responsibility that's visible to all employees on the CFO. Why? Because the CFO isn't the one that announces layoffs. You are. With your bullshit PR statements. About how difficult that was for you. And if you're a real Chad CEO, you do it like the CEO of Klarna, the buy now, pay later service, who sent anyone getting laid off the message with a pre-recorded video message. Yep. Delivered the news to a human that their life would be completely dismantled, and they will now feel much less uncertain about their ability to survive with the equivalent of a Snapchat message that he sent to 10% of the people in his contact list. This brings me to my recommendation for anyone job hunting, considering switching jobs, even interviewing, etc. Don't use Klarna. (laughs) Just kidding. That advice is for anyone listening. But for anyone actually interviewing for other jobs, here's my recommendation for this week. In your interview, when they ask you questions, ask if they 
track the forecast accuracy of their cash flow projections. I am dead serious. Their head will spin. They will have no idea what to do. Actually, I do have a feeling I know what they might say, and it will sound so corporate. Like, what a great question. I, I, I don't think we've ever been asked that. Wow, I think I'll have to follow up with you on that one. I'll have to check with someone that's higher than me, and I'll have to follow up with you. Great question. You are the first to ever ask that. I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure we do. I'm pretty sure we do. I just need to confirm for certainty, and I'll follow up. Maybe if you're talking to a finance person, they might ask clarifying questions like around what time frame. And if they pull that on you, which I highly doubt, just say quarterly projections, quarterly cash flow projections. But seriously, please, I, I'm urging almost people to like that aren't even applying, like, but just go apply to jobs just for the hell of it, just to make them uncomfortable and ask. Does this company track forecast accuracy for cash flow projections? And in the slim chance, they say yes. First, ask if it's regularly shared with all employees. And then, in the very, 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 very slim chance, you get to a point where they've answered all of this unflustered. Then ask what the forecast accuracy of Q1 of this year is. Q1 of 2022. And and if somehow you get to that point, they have an answer that they spit out unflustered, please just DM me what that number was. Because the fact of the matter is, is a good number will vary quite a bit by an industry. Some people would say like anything above 80% is considered good, but it does vary a whole lot by industry. But the point I'm trying to make is that we just need to start tracking that. Companies need to start tracking that. And employees need to be aware of it. Because if you think about it, it really is an indicator of how secure they feel working for you. Because if you are real accurate in all of your forecasts, they will inherently know my chances of randomly being laid off that has nothing to do with my performance are slimmer than if you work for a company whose forecast accuracy is 5%, where you're literally just operating in a free fall of zero business leadership and structure. So employees need to know this. Employees need to know how good their leadership is at forecasting the future of the business. And finally, for once, just holding CEOs to a quantifiable metric in addition to all their financial things on how good they are at their job that employees get to see that is a metric that will at least make employees feel a certain way about their job security. Now that's some real 360 degree feedback, am I right? But that's all I got for this week. Done with my layoff rant. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate the support. If you liked it, please subscribe, leave a review, all the things. You can follow on social at Workplace Tears. Also, I'm going to try to start putting some more of this information on my website at workplacetears.com. And shameless plug, I also got some of my credit work merch on there as well, if you want to check that out. Finally, I'd just love to hear from you. If you have questions, topics that you'd like to hear, suggestions, really anything, just shoot me a message. Don't be a stranger. 
But that's it for now. Thank you again for listening. I will see you next week for another episode of I Cry at Work. <laughs>